All right, everybody, you can take a seat. Welcome, welcome. Uh, for those of you new or visiting, my name is Joe. I am one of the pastors here. Just excited to be meeting together with you. Um, and yeah, excited to be back for this semester. Um, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. We were in the first half of the book of Acts last semester looking at the Jerusalem church. And this, this, part, this semester, we're going to be looking at the second half of the book of Acts, which really follows the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And so if uh, you didn't get a chance to be here last week, I um, would encourage you to check out um, on social media. And we have a Spotify page if you want to check out the first sermon from last week. It's kind of, a, again, a foundation building off of um, for the whole semester as well. But throughout the book of Acts, um, and especially the second half of the book of Acts, there's going to be a lot of things, just to prepare you, there's going to be a lot of things that kind of repeat themselves. And, you know, typically Paul and a companion will go to a city, and they will share the gospel, they will meet with people, and through that, people will either come to know Christ, people will um, want to hear more, or some people will reject it, and other people will reject it so much to the point where they'll try to persecute Paul and a companion that he's with. And so because of that repetitiveness, um, I think it's appropriate that at times, and what we'll see today, where we will start with the text, and then we'll kind of branch off into a topic that will, I think, speak to some things that we've experienced in our lives and hopefully help you grow in your devotion to Christ. And so the text will be a springboard to where we will kind of go today and kind of cover our theme. And where we'll go today is we're going to talk about, um, you notice throughout the book of Acts, there's, there's miracles and there's, there's healings that happen. There's a healing we'll see in this passage. And we will talk about, does God still do this kind of stuff today? And how does this text really apply to our lives as we're going through different hardships and suffering? And, and I think what's amazing is through God's word, we can have some assurances and understanding of, of how God continues to move today um, as we're seeking to trust him in each and every aspect of our lives. And so just kind of wouldn't give you a heads up on kind of the direction we're going, but really we're going to start first just in the text and dissecting it. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts 14, um, and we'll have the um, verses on the screen as well, but if you want to flip open um, your Bible or your phones and follow along with me, um, that'll be great. So um, in the beginning part of this chapter, Paul is in a town called Iconium, and him and his companion Barnabas are sharing the gospel, and similar to other weeks, they um, share the gospel, and there's great division that comes. And in, within the city, there's some people that are like, oh, this is great, this is awesome, this is, this is incredible. And then there's some people that are like, I don't want any part of this, and you need to stop and try to stop Paul and Barnabas from sharing the gospel. And so there's persecution that comes, um, so much so that they move to the next town, which is going to be kind of the main uh, text we're going to look at today, which is in Lystra, starting in verse 8. And so starting in verse 8, um, here's where we pick up our story. And it says this in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So we'll pause there. So what's happening in this passage, um, Paul is, is preaching the gospel in Lystra, and they, they come across this man who, who could not use his feet. And Paul saw that this man had faith and, and said to him, stand up. And he stood up. 
this is wild. I mean, it, putting ourselves kind of in this story, can you imagine if you were walking downtown Athens with a group of people and you come across a person that was kind of in this situation where they couldn't use their feet, and if somebody in your group said to this person, stand up, and they stood up. Can you imagine how wild that would be? How, you know, a small town like Athens would just go crazy if something like that happened, right? This is, this is wild, and this is what we see here. Oh, the, this is a small village, so many of the people in this town would have known who this man was. They would have grown up knowing him. And to see this miracle happen, they go wild. And in verse 11, we see what they do. And they say, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so what's happening here is the people of this town see this miracle happen, and they were just very convinced that this was clearly something special, that something divine and supernatural had happened here, that this man could now walk. And so they, they assumed, just based on their religion, um, that this had to be Zeus coming down and, and Hermes coming down um, to, to bring about a miracle here in this town. And they wanted to offer sacrifice to them. And what's, what's cool here is Paul and Barnabas redirect their attention and actually point to who is actually responsible for this miraculous thing being done. And they, they make sure to make clear it's not us, it's actually something else. And in verse 14, this is what they share. But when, the, in verse 14, the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to, live, to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And then in verse 18, it says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And so pausing there again, we'll, what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas point to who is actually responsible for this miracle happening and pointing to the gift giver, not just the gift. And, and they make clear that there's a God who made these people who, who, who offered them blessing. It says, you know, food and gladness and offering rain from heaven. But now is the time when this God who made them is making himself known to these people. And he, he is showing who he is in a powerful, wonderful way. And, and just like these people, we need to meet who this God is. If there's a God who made you, who loves you, who wants a relationship with you, and he wants to show up in your life. And there's many different ways God does this, but he wants to reveal himself to you. And he's probably given you so many good things 
in your life. And you haven't even maybe given him credit for those good things. But he wants to have a relationship with you. And so kind of building off of that with the text, yeah, like I shared earlier, you know, there's many questions that come up whenever I walk through texts like this with people, whenever we talk about this, eventually the question comes up, well, does God still do things like this today? You know, so this situation of Paul telling this person who, was, who couldn't walk, stand up, and they did, does, does God still do this today? Well, it's interesting if you dissect our culture and look at our culture, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum that are kind of in contradiction. Um, on the one hand, you have people that mock people who believe in miracles and things like that. And if you remember from a few years ago, there was this meme going around that was um, mocking people who uh, sent out their thoughts and prayers to people if there was a tragedy of some sort that happened. Um, And so there's kind of that end of the spectrum. But it's also interesting that if you look at every single poll from our culture, especially in America, most of the people in our country believe in supernatural and believe in miracles. It's really interesting. Um, and, and one poll said that I saw said 80% of people believe that miracles happen today, that through prayer, that, that, that uh, something miraculous can happen. So it's really fascinating um, if you, if you kind of think about that. And I'm sure there's many different things we could say about that, but I just thought that was interesting to share. Um, but when it comes to Christians, um, 90% believe miracles happen today, not surprisingly. Um, But there is a division that comes out when it comes to the application of this. And so on the one hand, on one end of the spectrum, you have Christians that say, um, miracles not only happen today, but we should operate just like they did in this book of Acts, that we should walk up to people and expect that healing should happen. And if it doesn't happen, what they'll say is it's usually based on um, the lack of faith of someone else or us. And so that's kind of one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people that say, this was a unique time in um, history that God moved in a supernatural way. And now that we have the full Bible, and now that we see the full picture in the story of God, we really don't need those things to happen. And we shouldn't even be worrying about expecting that to happen today. So, you know, when it comes to those end of the spectrum, we kind of, where we stand as a church, we kind of find a middle ground. And we say that, yes, God still moves and God still works today. And although this event, I think, was a unique situation, and if anything like this happens, sometimes you hear about stuff overseas, but it is very, very rare um, if it does take place. But we should pray with eager expectations because we as Christians believe in a God that's powerful, that made the world and everything in it, and is strong enough to overcome any barriers we seemingly think to have in our lives. He is strong and powerful. But on the other hand, we also have the full Bible. And the whole point in what Paul and Barnabas did was to seek the gift giver, not just the gifts. And so that that should be our desire. And so for us, we do believe we should pray with the expectation that God can move. And just to get a little personal, I've had a few situations in my life, and I'm sure you've had some situations too, where kind of miraculous things have happened and you just can't explain it any other way. Um, when I was uh, growing up, my brother, he got really burned really bad. He had some coffee was spilled on his hand. It was, it was really a bad burn. And uh, they had to put bandages on it and all that stuff. And um, at church that week, some people prayed over him and the next day, as my mom was changing his bandages, 
his scar was completely gone. It was like nothing ever, ever happened to it. And it was like wild. We're like, what the heck is this? You know, and that, that was probably the most like spontaneous, weird thing like that that's happened. In most cases, it tends to be, you know, and, and this is a good thing, like God created everything. And so medicine, science, like that, this is what God has created and uses. Um, in, in most cases, we pray for somebody and we see like they're in a rough situation, but God miraculously moves. And we have a current situation, we have a friend of ours who's a pastor at a church um, up in Bowling Green, and he got COVID really bad. Like, this is like one of the worst case scenarios, and he, um, although he's in his early 50s, he's very healthy, like he's the most athletic person I've ever met in my life, um, eats good, all that stuff, and, uh, but he got COVID really, really bad, and there was a few moments where we were like, oh man, he's probably not going to make it, and we were all kind of preparing our hearts for that, but um, the big thing that people just kept saying was, the only thing we can really do is pray, because, like, there's nothing really the doctors or anyone else can do. The only thing we can really do is pray, and so many of us prayed over him and fasted and just asked and prayed that God would move, trusting that God could save him, and, and amazingly, miraculously, he's, he's recovered, and there's still a road to recovery. He's got to go through rehab and all that. He was on a ventilator and all that, um, but, but it was amazing to see, wow, God kind of showed up in this space, and it was, it was incredible to see that, um, and, and really, we should be praying, again, with the expectation that God can move, and, and with my friend, too, um, it's amazing because doctors and nurses are telling him, like, you should not be alive, like, there's, <laughs> where you were, that we just don't see that happening, and, and we attribute that to our God moving, and that's wonderful. But on the flip side of this whole conversation, I think something that comes up as I've talked through some of this stuff with people over the years is people will ask, well, if God can heal, if he's powerful enough, why doesn't he just do it all the time, right? That's something that people will say. And ultimately, you know, that's kind of the answer to the big ultimate question of, you know, why, how could a good God allow for pain and suffering in our world and stuff like that? And so I'm going to give you a heads up that in what I'm going to share with you is, is only going to scratch the surface a little bit. Um, there's been books and volumes of books that have been written about this specific topic. But hopefully uh, what we share and what we talk about today will help inspire you and encourage you on your own journey as you're discovering um, and growing in your faith. But the first thing that I think to, to help answer this question of, you know, why does God say no? Because, I mean, God can say yes. God can say not yet. Um, it might push things back, and that's happened in my life. But God can say no. And why, why would God do that? Well, I, I, again, I think a first and foundational thing to understand is that God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. And that can be really hard for us, especially in our modern culture, to understand. We get everything we want just by flicking your finger, right? I mean, I turned, um, my house was cold this morning, so I pressed a button on my phone to warm up our house. Like, there, there's, you can get whatever you want at the flick of your finger. And so when we don't get something we want, we get frustrated, right? We get angry. You kick your printer or whatever it is that you do when you're angry. You throw your phone. Um, it be, because we live in a world where we have so much comfort. And we feel, if we're honest, let's be honest for a second in this church, um, we can feel entitled to things, right? Almost like we deserve these things because we get so much blessing. But the reality is, we are humans, and God is God. And he has every right 
to make decisions based on what he desires and what he wants to do because he is God and we are not. That's, that's kind of the first thing we have to understand. The second thing is this, that we, we believe as Christians that we live in a broken world, okay? That there is sin and brokenness in our world. And even if you're not a Christian, you have to acknowledge and admit that something is wrong with our world. If you're, you know, the, the evil things you can see online or, or even in your family or in different aspects of your life, something is clearly broken with our world. Well, for Christians, we believe that the world is broken, and that suffering and difficulty and pain are the norm. But God chooses to break into that. Again, he is God, we are not. But he chooses to break into that and show his compassion to us that we might know him and that we might see his power. And so anytime God chooses to do that, he is going against what is the norm for us, that those moments are actually blessings. And again, we should seek him when that comes because brokenness and pain are evidence of our fallen world. And we shouldn't feel entitled to anything. The, early, the, the ancient world totally understood this. They lived in a time where they lived in constant anxiety and hardship and difficulty. Even the people of this town were constantly in fear of, is there going to be an invading nation that's going to take everything we have? Is there going to be um, pestilence and difficulty? They were in constant awareness of this. But even for us, even though we have so many comforts, I don't, I don't know about you, everybody I talk to has some difficulty and pain in their lives. Even though we can numb the pain, it doesn't fully go away. We still experience the brokenness of our world because that is the norm, because we live in a fallen world. But we know this is how it's not meant to be, that there's something greater. And what's amazing is, and this is like the ultimate answer to why is there suffering and brokenness in the world, or how could a good God allow for suffering um, in our world? The, The ultimate answer is this, that God did do something. God did do something. He made a way for us to be set free from the curse, from the brokenness that we experience by sending his son into the world to be the ultimate example of putting all the weight of the wrath of God that we deserved, all the suffering and brokenness on his shoulders so that we could be set free, so we could be made new. And so in a way, God allowed for evil and suffering to enter our world so he could defeat it and to show how much he loves us and cares for us. He's a good father that cares for us. And all we have to do is receive his truth. Because God made a way for us. And because of that, too, there is an eternal hope, okay? There's an eternal hope that we experience as Christians, even though we experience suffering. And if anyone ever tells you if you become a Christian, all your pain and suffering is going to go away, that's a flat-out lie. That's not true, okay? Hopefully you know that. Um, And... we are still going to experience suffering, but there is an eternal hope that we have. And in Romans 8, Paul talks about in verse 18, for I consider that all the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it's in verse 19, I love the wording that Paul says here. He says, for creation waits with eager longing, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for, for God to make things right. And Revelations talks about how God will wipe away every tear from our eye, that death will be no more, that pain and suffering, all the things you carry won't be there anymore, that there's an eternal hope. 
And there's something on the human heart that knows that this is true, that there's something that can bring satisfaction to the pain we experience in our lives. And that's what we look towards. But in the present, we still deal with difficulty and pain. Um, theologians call this already but not yet, that we're already being saved and that God, God has shown his glory to us, but it's like this hope, this eternal hope is something we're still waiting for. It's not yet. And if you look at, you know, the Bible, like it's clear that, um, being, again, being a follower of Jesus doesn't take away difficulty, pain, and suffering that we go through. In fact, a lot of times it guarantees it. Because especially if you're somebody that's, that's become a Christian, and if you know of people who are overseas that have become Christians, a lot of times their families just turn against them because of that. So that greater difficulty, even looking at the apostles, one of the greatest evidences for the Christian faith was looking at the lives of the apostles. No one profited from uh, sharing the message of the gospel. Most died very painful deaths, but they believed because they had seen the risen Jesus, and they could do nothing else but share this message with others. And even if you look at the Apostle Paul, he dealt with difficulty, trial, and suffering, many of which we will talk about um, this semester. But this is part of it. But when you, to the Christian, you have an advocate. You have a companion. You have an eternal joy that when suffering and pain comes, the Holy Spirit is with you and guides you. Where do you turn when difficulty comes? Where do you go? Who do you lean on? And I can tell you, for us and our family, when we've experienced trials and difficulties, we've always leaned on Christ, not understanding why these situations always happen, but we trust in him that he knows what's going on, and he's with us, and he comforts us in our pain and in our difficulty. And that's what Paul continues to talk about. And even looking at this story, to jump, jump right back into Acts 14, um, difficulty comes for Paul and Barnabas. And we get to see it firsthand um, in this story that the crowd moves from wanting to sacrifice idols to them um, to wanting to kill them, to stone them. And what happens is there's some people, some Pharisees, some religious people who oppose Paul and Barnabas, and they get the crowd, uh, a good group of them, to turn against them, and they throw stones at them. And, and jumping back in the text, verse 19 and says this, um, the Pharisees, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went to, with Barnabas to Darby. And when he had preached the gospel to that city, he made, he made many of the disciples, I'm sorry, he made many of the disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the soul of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is, this is pretty amazing. So Paul is stoned, um, and I've played sports. I've played baseball, and I've had, you know, baseballs, not intentionally, but kind of thrown at me for different reasons. Um, again, not intentionally, and that's terrifying, but could you imagine, like, having a crowd throw stones at you? I, I can't. That just seems just incomprehensible to me. But this is what happens to Paul. So much that they think he's dead. But what's amazing here, and again, what, what happens in this passage, he goes back to that town. What kind of radical love is that, that you would go back to the place that persecuted you to continue to share the gospel. 
strengthening the souls of the disciples. This, what great perseverance. And how did Paul have this? Paul had this because he had great faith and great understanding in the power of God to work even in his suffering and difficulties. Again, suffering and challenges were, were not something that were, was distant from Paul. If you look at, uh, as an example, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he shares about the difficulties and struggles he's gone through on his journey. Um, in verse uh, 24, it says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Um, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. That sounds rough. Um, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and, and toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Man, this is, this is wild. Paul is aware of the reality that in, in, through his life, the difficulty and trials, but he continues to boast in his weakness. He continues to turn to Christ. Again, where do you go when difficulties come? Where do you go when trials come? Because God wants to offer you an ultimate joy that you can turn to him and he will lead you in that space. Another uh, next chapter of um, 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about um, going to God through a difficulty that he was going through. He calls it a thorn in his side. and um, We don't know exactly what it was, um, but it was a difficulty, and he asked God to, to take that away, but God said no, which is, which is wild, you know? And, and here's what Paul says. He says, but he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in our difficulty and suffering, I think we need to be aware that God wants to use that. God wants to use that for his glory. And as we turn to him, we have someone to turn to. We have an advocate who wants to walk beside us through that pain, through that suffering. Even though we don't fully understand the reasons for it, he, he wants to meet you. And through that, you get joy. And I'm not saying happiness, but, but joy. And this is what Paul experiences. You know, um, for our family, a couple years ago, there was a really difficult season um, that we went through. Um, this was before our daughter, um, Abigail. We uh, had a miscarriage, and it was one of the hardest seasons of our lives. Um, and we've had many trials, but this was a very unique and difficult and painful trial um, for us. And we just kept asking, like, Lord, why? Why would, why would we go through this? And it was just so um, hard. But in that difficulty, we turned to Christ. And we just said, Lord, even though we don't fully understand what's going on, we know that you're in control. And we know we can trust you. 
and, and we don't deserve anything. Any goodness that we receive is purely your blessing and grace. We just kept, just, Lord, we, this is hard, and this is painful. And we allowed our grief to be there, and we cried many tears. And we just said, Lord, just use this. And it's amazing, you know, because I, I don't want to share like, oh, that happened, and then, oh, look, now we have a daughter and all that. You know, I don't want to communicate that. What I want to communicate is our posture was in that difficulty to turn to Christ, because that is what we do. We turn to Jesus in those times of difficulty and trust in him. And it may just be a brokenness thing, or, or yeah, maybe there might be some amazing things that God might do through that. And maybe we don't always see it, but there might be times where we do. And that, in that t- particular situation, um, when we found out we were pregnant again, we named, um, when we found out Abigail was a girl, we, we, uh, the name we chose was Abigail because that, that name means the father's joy. And so we, we, we I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it, but we... Uh, through that experience, we just said, Lord, we're going to be open-handed here, and um, we're going to name her the Father's joy, because we've experienced, even in the suffering, even in this difficulty, your joy through that. And she's been nothing but a joy to our family, but also, too, um, because of that experience, um, there's been, and this was only a couple years ago this happened, but there's been tons of couples, I can't even name them, who've actually reached out to us, because we were vulnerable and open about um, our story in that space. And there's been people that have reached out to us who've gone through that same thing. And God has actually used us to be a comfort to people in that space who've gone through miscarriages. You don't realize how many people go through miscarriages and don't say anything. It's, it's, it's very sad. And oftentimes you can feel alone and insecure in that space. And, and for us, um, in our weakness, God has shown his strength by allowing us to comfort people who've gone through that too. And, and again, I don't know your story. I don't know the pain or struggles you've gone through, but I do know this, that, that God can use that for his glory. And I know many people who've gone through great difficulties, great physical difficulties, and as they've, they've preached this too, that as they've turned to Christ, God has used them in such powerful ways. And when we are weak, when we're open with our weakness, Jesus wants to show his strength. And that's what we want to see. And that's what we hope for you, that as you're on this journey of faith and discovering how to grow closer to Christ, to trust that God wants to use you, and that ultimately what we should be seeking is a relationship with him, seeking the gift giver over the gifts. The gifts are great. They're wonderful. But if we don't have him, they're just meaningless because he is where you get your ultimate joy. He is where you get your ultimate fulfillment. And he is the one that we should turn to. And that's what we'll continue to see throughout this book of Acts, that in trial, in in struggle, in persecution, the apostles continue to turn to Jesus, who comforts and he uses them. And so as we close today, um, I really want to close with two questions um, for you to ponder on and respond to as we're entering this space of worship. Um, Number one, do you pray with eager expectation that God can move? Do you pray with the expectation that we serve a big God who's powerful, who's strong, who can work in whatever situation you're going through? And it's not just the big things you have to go to, to him for. It's the small things, too. He, he loves you. He wants that relationship with you. And so do you go to God trusting that he can move? And then secondly, and this might be a little deeper, but where do you turn when trials come? Where do you turn Unfortunately, a lot of us turn to things that numb some of that stuff. Turn to a bottle. 
or turn to um, attention and relationships. Where do you turn? Because when trials come, if you, if, if you turn to Christ, he will give you the joy and give you um, the hope that you are actually looking for. It doesn't mean your pain goes away, but he is there to comfort you and meet you because he is God. We are not, and he's powerful enough to move. And so I know this was a heavy message in a lot of ways, but I hope it's also an encouraging message. Again, whatever you're going through, that you can turn to Christ and that he wants to use you and show his glory to you. And so with that, we'll close and the band will come forward. And, um, and I want you to just reflect on those questions. So Lord, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you even in the difficulty, in the difficult seasons, Lord, you want to show us your power and your glory. Help us, Lord, um, when trials and suffering come to turn to you. God, you want to show your glory to us. Help us to lean on you, Lord. Thank you for stories like this when you show yourself in such powerful ways. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to move in such powerful ways and that you would meet us and show us your glory and that this campus and this city would just see your power. And that just like the people in this town, that, that, that they would just clearly see that you're a God that's here and moving throughout time and history and in our city. And so, Lord, use us to be a light for you and help us to be um, a people that reflect how Paul lived, even in trial and suffering, constantly turning to you and allowing you to work through the pain that we experience um, and knowing that we're looking ahead to the ultimate joy of being reunited with you, Lord, in eternity. And when, again, you will wipe away every tear from our eye and death will be no more. So, Lord, meet us in this space and help us to trust you. We pray all this in your name.